0: Father God, how grateful we are not only for this Sunday, for the beauty of this Sunday and the privilege of gathering with our family and the faith, but especially, God, how grateful we are for this specific Sunday and the privilege, that desires to celebrate and give thanks for our mothers and all the influence they have had and still have in our lives. Pray, God, that as a result of our time together, that every mother here will sense your affirmation, your encouragement, your leadership, your direction in their lives. I pray that all of us, each of us, children of mothers, We'll find new ways not only to honor and give thanks for our mothers, whether they was with us or with you, or how to live, Father, in addition, in ways that will honor you even as they are called to honor you. Speak to us through your word. Speak to me through your word. Use this time now as we give you thanks in advance for the way you will inspire us and help us, encourage us, and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is the second Sunday in May. We're getting closer to the summer. As a result, I thought you probably needed to know that May is barbecue month. Who makes these decisions? Who decides this stuff? I have no idea. But somebody decided that May is barbecue month. Here's more good news. They also decided it's hamburger month. Now, in my world, every month is hamburger month. But for some reason, they decided that May should be hamburger month. Why not? It's also, you probably maybe didn't know this, need to know this, that May is chocolate custard month. Now, that's good news, right? This is good news. There's even more good news. May is also loaded potato month. This has got to be good, right? I mean, you know, I didn't know I had to wait till May. In fact, I don't wait till May to eat loaded potatoes, but be that as it may. And perhaps because of all of that, May is also blood pressure month. Now, I don't think that means you're supposed to get higher blood pressure in May. I think it means you're supposed to get your blood pressure tested in May, maybe. I don't know. And whatever the consequences are, May is also National Smile Month. Now, you can, yeah, I think you can smile all year. You have my permission. But for some reason, may I have no idea why, is National Smile Month. Now, are not you glad you came to chapel? Doesn't that just change your life to know that, huh? But of all the things we could talk about that May is known for, of course, May... Today, we want to give thanks that May is Mother's Day month. Since 1914, President Woodrow Wilson, the second Sunday in May, has been Mother's Day. And aren't we grateful? All of us are obviously the children of mothers, right? All of us had or have mothers. And I'm so glad that especially today, should be every day, but especially today, we get to give thanks. We kept, uh, I we mainly, Janet, kept a four-year-old and a two-year-old last week. We discovered that young people should have young people. We made that discovery yet again. And watching her with them just reminded me of how incredible she was when ours were four and two and all other ages as well. And I am so grateful for her, for the mother she is and the grandmother she is. And I'm so glad we all get to say that to all of you who have been such influences in our lives. But there's something specific inside that that I don't know exactly how to say to you. So I'll try to do it this way. I don't know that there's ever been a time in American history when godly mothers have been more important than they are right now, than they are right now. For example, say this carefully, Disney is launching, I read this week, a rainbow collection where you can get T-shirts, you can get Mickey hats, ears, you can get pins, you can get insignias, all of which have rainbows on them because June is Pride Month. And in addition to all of the uh, merchandise that will celebrate this, I'm actually writing about this in an article for tomorrow. I'm trying to be careful because we have kids with us. But um, there have been, let's say, a larger number of characters featured on Nickelodeon and on Cartoon Channel and on Disney and on other channels celebrating uh, alternate lifestyles than ever before there. Did I say that okay? I want to be careful. This is just one example of the fact that godly mothers are more important maybe today than they have ever been. We could talk about other issues that I won't talk about because you know about them in the culture, but how urgent it is, how critical it is for mothers to be godly mothers in these days. So after Easter, we've been looking each Sunday at how we can experience the Easter Christ every day. How can we experience the risen Christ every day? Christianity is about Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about religion. It's about Jesus. It's about a life-changing daily encounter with the living Lord Jesus. How can we do that? So, for today, I want us to think about the most famous mother in all of history. But I want to think about Mary, not just before Easter, but especially after Easter. I want to do something I've never done before in 40 years of preaching. Never talked about Mary after Easter. Easter, because there's some stuff in that that may be new to you, but I think is really not only interesting, but really powerful, as she gives us an example we can follow in the context of being the godly people God wants us to be. So we're going to talk today a little bit about the depth of a mother's love, then we're going to talk about the power of a mother's life, and then we're going to close by talking about the significance of a mother's legacy. So let's think about, first of all, the depth of a mother's love. The story with Mary, as you know, starts in Luke chapter 1, where the angel says to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Problem was, she's not married. Problem is, she's engaged. Now, she's got to explain to her fiancé that she's pregnant. He knows he's not the father, and yet she's still a virgin. You and I know what Joseph doesn't know, right? She's risking her marriage, obviously. She's perhaps risking her life. Joseph's got two choices. He can divorce her quietly and let her try to raise his child as a single mother in a day when single mothers had almost no means of supporting themselves. That's the best case. Or he can have her stoned publicly as an adulteress. Those are the choices. As you know, he chose the first route, divorce her privately. Then the angel appears to Joseph and tells Joseph what Mary knows, and then Joseph agrees to take Mary as his wife. But she doesn't know all that right now. When she says to the angel, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not the last time she would show the depth of what would become a mother's love. In Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, they take him to the temple. There's an elderly man named Simeon there who blesses Jesus and blesses them and makes this strange statement. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this is the baby Jesus, all right? Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, she was told. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. And didn't that come to true, come to pass? When she had to be at the cross and watch this son, after being scourged and whipped and tortured, be crucified, sword pierced her soul. Well, no mother except Mary has ever had to watch her son die for the sins of humanity. But every mother, before and after Mary, knows something of the depth of a mother's love, of those times when a soul pierces your soul. You are a mother as long as you live, aren't you? Then if you have grandkids, then you're a grandmother as long as you live. And the depth of your love for them is something you carry with you every moment of every day. There is never a moment that you're not a mother, right? With the burden And sometimes the pain that you carry as a result of that. We got a text yesterday from our oldest son, uh, Ryan, who wants to come to town later this month and bring his kids and go to a Rangers game, which is going to be awesome. And when Ryan comes to town, Janet and I will do what we can to avoid looking at the right side of his face because of the results of the radiation from eight years ago that he had to go through to save his life. And Janet and I have talked about that. We'll never get over that. She'll especially never get over that a mother's love, the depth of a mother's love, the sword that pierces her soul. But the good news today is you can give that to God. The good news today is you can give that depth. You can give that burden. You can give that issue, whatever it is in your life, to Jesus. If today is in some ways a hard day for you, if your kids aren't where you wish they were, you can give that to Jesus today. If your relationship with your mother wasn't what you wished it was, you can give that to Jesus today. Some perhaps never knew their mothers. You can give that to Jesus If there's hurt today, and Mother's Day is not an easy day for everybody, you can give that to Jesus, and you can know, as we'll see in a moment, His grace greater than all that we carry with us. So Mary talks to us, if she was here today, about the depth of the mother's love, but then moving on quickly, she also could talk to us about the power of a mother's influence. And so, you fast forward to the age of 12. Now Jesus is 12, and this story picks up. In Luke chapter 2, the parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. This would be what we think of as a bar mitzvah today. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing him to be in the group, they won a day's journey. They began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. They didn't find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. Next time you get frustrated with your kids, just remember this story, all right? Just remember what that was like. Three days looking for Jesus, listening to them, asking them questions. All who heard the 12-year-old Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But when his parents saw him... They were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Again, does that feel familiar at all? Does that sound familiar at all to anybody? We will never forget the the two-in-the-morning phone call when Craig called us, our youngest son, to tell us that he had run his Ford Explorer into the corner of El Centro College in downtown Dallas. And El Centro College won. And now the police are there and the sirens and the whole nine yards after Craig decided to take on El Centro College at two in the morning. And uh, we we were in great distress. He was okay. Everybody was okay. There's a long story behind it. But nonetheless, we were in great distress. You can be in great distress. You probably will be in great distress at some point as parents, right? But Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them, but here was the point I wanted to make. Verse 51, he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. I hadn't thought about that before this week. You know Jesus was sinless, Hebrews 4.15, right? Tempted in all manner like we are yet without sin, and yet he could be submissive to them. Now, I can only be sinless and be submissive to you if you're sinless. Now, I don't mean that we're perfect. I don't mean Mary and Joseph were perfect. But Jesus could only be sinless and submit to his parents if his parents were godly. Otherwise, he would have had to choose, right? Jesus could submit to Mary because Mary submitted to God. That's the point. Jesus could follow his parents because his parents followed his father. In fact, there comes this time when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray, and he says, pray like this our Father who art in heaven, right? In times when Jesus called out to his Father as Father, he used the word Abba. That's the Aramaic word for Daddy. Joachim Jeremias, a phenomenal New Testament scholar, has documented the fact that Jesus was the first Jewish teacher in history to refer to God personally as his Father. Prior to Jesus, they referred to the Father of the nation, The father of the people. Jesus was the first one to call his father what he called his father. He was the first one to refer to his father in heaven by how he referred to his earthly father. And he could follow his father and his mother to God because they followed God. Because of the power of a mother's influence. That's a story we find all through history, don't we? A few examples very quickly. John Wesley who started the Methodist movement. I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the greatest preachers of his day. My sermons were Bible stories, which I had first learned from my mother. Dwight Moody, the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist preacher of all time. I cannot tell how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. So please don't be discouraged about the power of your influence, the power of your life. Understand that you're planting seeds you may never sit under, that you're making a difference you can't see. But Mary had no idea 20 centuries ago I'd be talking about her today and the power of her life, but that's how God works. If you will trust Him with the burden that you carry, with the sword that you feel on occasion, with the difficulties of being a mother. If you will trust Him with that and ask Him to help you live a life that He can use, He will answer that. He is answering that prayer. In Mary, we see not only the depth of a mother's love, we see the power of a mother's life, but last, we see the significant significance of the mother's legacy. So now we get to Easter. Mary there at the cross, remember that, with John, Jesus' best friend, his beloved disciple. Remember the time of the cross when Jesus says to John, behold your mother, and to Mary, behold your son. And from that time, John took Mary into his home and cared for her the rest of her life, as we understand tradition. We'll get back to that in just a second. So here's Mary at the cross watching her son die, watching her son's tortured, crucified death. Then Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus ascends to the Father back in heaven, and then we find this verse, the last reference to Mary in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, all these, the disciples, the followers, the apostles, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Mary now worshiping her son as her Lord. Mary now with his followers, worshiping the risen, resurrected Jesus. And so it is, as you skip forward into Acts chapter 2, that same group still together in that upper room, Mary among them, when it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and the Spirit falls, and they all, Mary included, I'm certain, went out into the crowd, and Mary began telling the crowd in the power of the Spirit about her Son, now her Savior and her Lord, and continues To share forward what she knows with the result of her commitment, trusting her sword to her Lord, trusting her life to her Lord, and now her legacy to her Lord. But there's more to the story. When Luke wrote his gospel, Luke, the beloved physician of Paul, he himself had not been an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a Gentile, as best we know, and came into the story through Paul's influence and did, never knew the, the, the earthly life of Jesus. So when he begins to write his gospel, Luke says that he interviewed those who from the beginning were eyewitness, eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. And earliest tradition. I mean, we're talking first, second century tradition is one of the eyewitnesses he interviewed was Mary. And the reason we have in Luke's gospel the stories in Luke 1 about Gabriel visiting Mary, and in Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and later in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus at the age of 12. The reason we have all that in Luke's gospel is because Mary told Luke, who told us. And so we have in Luke's gospel Mary's continued legacy, but there's even more. I mentioned that at the cross, Jesus asked John to care for his mother, Mary, and so he did. Well, eventually, they made their way to Ephesus. Ephesus is on the western coast of what we call Turkey today, and today it was the third largest city in the world, largest church in Christendom by the end of the first century. And that's where John pastored, and that's where he died. In fact, we know his tomb. That's the tomb of John in Ephesus. I visited it several times over the years. It's the only tomb we know with absolute, 100% certainty is the tomb of an apostle. We think Peter is buried under the Vatican, but there's some debate about that. We're not certain where Paul was buried. We're not certain where the other apostles were buried. We know that's where John is buried in Ephesus, 100% certainty. Not far from there, when we take people to Ephesus and we go to the tomb of John, we get back on the bus, and we take about a 10-minute ride up into the hill, and we make our way to the house of Mary. Now, this is a modern chapel built on an ancient foundation, first century foundation, which has been believed for more than a thousand years to be the place where Mary lived when she was there with John in Ephesus before she passed and returned to heaven, made her way to heaven. When you go in today, it looks like this. It's a chapel. You can go in and they'll show you the bedroom on the side, which would have been Mary's bedroom and it is a venerated site. People that go there leave prayer requests on the wall outside, just like the Western Wall in Jerusalem. There's a spring underneath Mary's house, the house of the Virgin Mary as they call it. There's a spring under there that they made into a fountain, and people bottle water, and they bring that with them wherever they go, back home, as another example of the continued influence of Mary. This we would say, Palestinian teenage girl is today the best known, most respected woman in history because of the power, the significance of a mother's legacy. I would say to you today that all of these are God's invitation to you, whether you're a mother or not. There's a sword in your soul. There's a burden you're carrying. There's something in your heart that you can trust to Jesus today. There's a way you can live your life. You can surrender your life to Jesus. You can be submitted to the power of the Spirit. You can so walk with God that He will use your influence to affect others, and He will use your life to touch other lives. And you can be encouraged today to know that He is using your life in ways you cannot measure. You cannot measure the eternal significance of present faithfulness because of the eternal significance of your present-day legacy. And Mary's proof of all of that. So, one last example before we pray on this Mother's Day. You've sung Amazing Grace many times in your life, right? It's the best known of all Christian hymns. It usually comes out first when people um, vote on their favorite hymn, Amazing Grace. And you know the story, right? Written by John Newton. Newton himself, a slave trader, captain of slave ships, who came to Christ, came to faith in Christ personally through a horrific storm. Gave up slave trading, became himself an Anglican minister, wrote the song Amazing Grace, became a pastor, enormously influential in the life of William Wilberforce, who led the movement to abolish slavery, a former slave trader, helping William Wilberforce understand the horrors of the slave trade, the sinful horrors of slavery, and helping him abolish the slave trade. Well, what not everybody knows is the influence of John Newton's mother, and that's because she died two weeks before he turned seven. He was her only child. She had tuberculosis all of his life. She struggled terribly with her health, was very, very frail, and as I said, passed away two weeks before he turned seven. But as her only child, knowing she would not live long, she poured her life into him, especially spiritually. And Newton later wrote these words. As her only child, she made it the chief business and pleasure of her life to instruct me and bring me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then she died. His father remarried. His stepmother had no interest in him by the age of 11. His father essentially sold him into seafaring. He was enslaved. He became a captain, all of that. Then he came personally to faith through that storm, as I said. But Newton's best-known biographer said of her, the spiritual lessons the boy learned at his mother's knee were never forgotten. They became the foundation for Newton's eventual conversion and Christian commitment. And the reason we sing Amazing Grace today is because of the amazing grace of John Newton's mother. That's how God works, and that's why Mother's Day is such a special day and such a wonderful day for us to give thanks for the depth of a mother's love, the power of her life, the significance of her legacy, and let's resolve to take those lessons into our lives as well. So pray with me. Take this moment, first of all, then if you can, to the degree that you can, thank God for the gift of your mother. At the very least, thank God for your life, because your life obviously given, was given to you by your biological mother. So thank God for that fact, if you would. And then, obviously, I don't know your relationship with your mother. But to the degree that you can, thank God for her. Thank God for the depth of her love, for the power of her life, for the significance of her legacy in your life. Take a moment on this Mother's Day and express your gratitude. And now, where do you need to trust God with that which is in your heart today? Maybe there's a sword in your soul. Maybe there's a a place of hurt in your life. As a mother or not, would you take a moment and trust that to your father? Ask him for grace, strength, peace, healing, help, and hope. Would you ask him to help you to live a life that others can follow? Ask Him to help you to live a life that your children can follow to your Lord, to live in such a way that your children can submit to you, and in so doing, submit to God. Ask Him to help you to do that. And then last, would you thank Him for the legacy of your life in a way you can't even begin to imagine? Thank him for all the ways he will use you in the future because you're faithful in the present. Give him your praise for that grace. Father God, I thank you for my mother. I thank you for her courage during all those years when it was so difficult with my father's disabilities. For the way, God, that she continued to live with courage, with fortitude, and then later in her life with faith. And I'm grateful, God, for her legacy in my life today and the privilege that is mine to honor and celebrate her. How grateful I am for Janet and the godly mother and grandmother she is. I pray that you'll encourage her today in her life and her legacy. And I pray that for every mother here as we thank you for this very special day and thank you that we can trust our mothers to our father. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day. God bless.